The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, if you are uh, new with us, you are joining us in the third week of a four-week series looking at the implications of resurrection. And we're doing this by looking at the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul takes up the resurrection and he discusses it in length in 58 verses. And we're looking at resurrection because uh, resurrection is a central aspect to our faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not resurrected, if he is still in the tomb, if he is still in the grave, then, then our faith is for naught. Then we are the people in this world most to be pitied that, that if Christ is still in the tomb, then, then y'all, we should just stop what we're doing and we should just walk out the door and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's what he tells us. But thanks be to God, the tomb is empty. That Christ is risen, right? And we celebrate his resurrection, not just that one day of the year on Easter when we join with the church around the world, but, but the resurrection has implications for every day of our life and every week and every month and every year. The resurrection is central to who we are. We are a resurrection people. And so that's why we're spending a few weeks looking at resurrection. And so a couple weeks ago, we heard Paul discuss how the resurrection is true, how the scriptures and the eyewitnesses and, and the change of Paul's very life testified to the validity of Christ's resurrection. <clears throat> Last week we heard about the benefits of resurrection, that because Jesus is risen, we have life and security and purpose. This morning we look at the nature of resurrection. Paul describes what our resurrection will look like. And he does so beginning in verse 35, so follow along with me. Paul writes, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory for, of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a life being, a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. 
Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of resurrection. And we come to your word recognizing that we need deeper hope. We need greater belief. We need greater faith. And we need that for ourselves in our own hearts. That, Father, we waver in these ways. And so we ask that you would help us now to deepen our faith, to grow our hope, to uh, assure us of belief in Christ and his resurrection. Help me so that my words would honor you. Help us all so that our attention would be focused on your word. And we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen. Now, I imagine very few of you uh, noticed that this past week, uh, Arcade Fire released their newest album called We. (laughs) I imagine many of you have never even heard of this band, Arcade Fire, but they're one of my favorite bands. They did just drop a new album. I've only listened to it once or twice, so I can't tell you what I really think yet. But but, uh, Arcade Fire was made popular and made themselves known a number of years ago with a Grammy Award-winning album called The Suburbs. But before they released that album, before they became popular in the world, uh, they had another album. And on that album, the last track of that album was a song that's called My Body is a Cage. My Body is a Cage, the chorus of that song goes like this. It says, my body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love, but my mind holds the key. My body is a cage but my mind holds the key. Now, we don't know what the circumstance or the situation is that caused the songwriter to pen these words. In fact, the the purpose for the song, it's veiled within the text of the song, but but whatever the issue might be, the the singer sees his body as contributing to the problem. That whatever the problem is, that his body is a part of it. And so he sings, my body is a cage. His body is inhibiting him. It's constraining him. His body is a cage. Now, Arcade Fire is not a Christian band. They have many redemptive themes within their songs, well, within some of their songs, but but they're not a Christian band. And yet, in this song, they are communicating something that many Christians have embraced. That for all the problems in this world, my body is one of them. That my body is a cage. That my body is the problem. And so maybe we hear those lines, my body is a cage, my mind holds the key. Later in the song, he says, set my spirit free. And we hear those words and maybe we nod in agreement. Because that's how we often approach the Christian life, isn't it? We emphasize the heart the soul, the spirit, the mind, but we do so often at the expense of the body, of devaluing our physicality, and we embrace subtly the idea that that our bodies are simply a container for our soul, right? That our bodies are like that Amazon package that awaits us on our doorstep, right? The, The point of receiving that box from Amazon is what's inside the box, right? The the box is just a container. It's just a vehicle to get that product, whatever it is, to us. And so we tear open the box, we take out what's inside because that's what really matters, and we throw away the cardboard because it doesn't matter. 
And that's how we often think of our bodies. That's how we think of our physicality. That our bodies don't really matter. That what's inside, that's what ultimately matters. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that our soul, our hearts, our minds, that they don't matter. They do. They absolutely do. And so does your body. So does your physicality. And that's actually what Paul is telling us. You see, in these verses, Paul is talking about the nature of resurrection, and what he tells us is that the nature of resurrection is bodily. A bodily resurrection. Now, that idea was hard for the Corinthians to get their minds around. We see it initially when Paul seemingly repeats their own questions back to them. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? They're asking this question, and you can hear their skepticism, right? Dead bodies raised? Physical resurrection? You hear their skepticism because in their minds, the body seems synonymous with mortality and with corruptibility. And you add to this the Greek way of thinking of the immortality of the soul at the expense of the body, and you get a resurrection that is only spiritual. But that's actually not what Paul's describing here. Paul's describing a resurrection that's bodily and has continuity with our current earthly bodies. That's what we see in verses 36 through 41. We see the continuity between the two. He writes, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So you hear the primary analogy that Paul uses, right? It's the analogy of a seed, a seed sown into the ground, maybe a kernel, maybe a grain of wheat. And we know that when you plant a seed in the ground, that the the plant that it produces is going to be in keeping with the seed. We know this. You plant tomato seed, lettuce seed, what comes from the ground? Well, tomato or lettuce plant, right? A tomato plant doesn't bring forth an apple tree. A tomato seed brings forth product, a produce, fruit, that looks, that's in keeping with the seed. And Paul's saying so too with the resurrection. You see, to some degree, our resurrected bodies are going to be in keeping with our earthly bodies. That's what he indicates in verse 39. Not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So there's some continuity here. Now, you know, I've never actually heard someone articulate this idea that, that maybe um, when we die and we go to heaven, that we uh, transform into an animal. Like, no one, I've never heard anyone say that. Like, maybe we're going to become a fish, maybe, you know, a hawk. Really like, you know, I like an elephant, so maybe I'll have a trunk. Like, no one's ever said that to me. No one said, Pastor, this is what I think is going to happen. Maybe you're sitting there and you've thought that, and then you'd be the first that I've ever heard from that would say that. However... No one's ever said that, and that seems bizarre to us, doesn't it? But you know what I have heard people say? When we die and we go to heaven, 
will be these disembodied spirits kind of floating around in the heavenlies and will be sort of angelic type beings. I've heard people articulate that. In fact, that's how our culture, pop culture, often thinks about death, doesn't it? I mean, think about It's a Wonderful Life, right? That movie we watch every Christmas, right? The angel that comes from heaven to help George Bailey, to rescue George Bailey from himself, right? This angel was once a man, right? I, I forget how long, 100, 200, maybe hundreds and hundreds of years before the, the setting of It's a Wonderful Life. He lived on this earth, and he died. He went to heaven, was this disembodied spirit. He's now an angel, and one day he'll get his wings, and that's how our pop culture thinks about what it means for us to be heavenly beings. And it's completely unbiblical. It's completely unbiblical. There is nothing in scripture that would make us think that when we go to heaven, that when we, Jesus returns in the resurrection and we rise with him, that we will become angels. No. No. Instead, what we see is that there is continuity between the earthly and the heavenly. Between our earthly bodies and our resurrected bodies. And we know this not just from this passage with Paul. We know it actually from Jesus himself in his accounts of the resurrection, right? I mean, think about when the people met, with, met Jesus after he was resurrected in his glorified bodies. In his glorified body. Jesus was recognizable. That meant he must have looked something like the earthly Jesus. He had physicality, right? You remember the, the women, they grabbed hold of him and they held on to him and they didn't go get him and it was like, where'd he go, you know? He had bone and flesh and blood, right? He, he still bore the scars, the wounds from the cross. He said to Thomas, look, touch, feel. He ate with his disciples. He had a body. A glorified body, but a body nonetheless. And the same is true for us. Since Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, which is what we heard last week, we should expect that our resurrection will have similar continuity. And so what this means for today is that your body matters. It means that today your body matters. That God doesn't make bad stuff, right? Sin makes stuff bad. But God doesn't make bad stuff, and, and God made us with bone and flesh, blood and physicality and bodies. Your body matters today. Now, this, this actually isn't something that is hard to convince people of outside the church in our day, because for far too many people, that's all that matters is our body. But within the church, I think sometimes we fall victim to thinking like all that matters is my soul, and all that matters is my spirit, and all that matters is my mind, and those things do matter. And what scripture tells us is that your body matters. And the way we think about our bodies, and the way we treat our bodies, because there's continuity between our earthly and our heavenly bodies. But there is also transformation. So there is transformation. Think back about the analogy of the seed. So when a tomato seed is planted, it sprouts forth, and the plant doesn't look like the seed, right? It's got 
It's got uh, branches, it's got uh, leaves, it's got fruit, right? It's, it's different. It's still in keeping with the seed, but it's different from the seed. It's transformed, and that's what Paul says happens to us. Look at verses 42 through 44. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So we hear the transformative language that Paul's employing, right? Perishable to imperishable. Dishonor to glory. Weakness to power. Natural to spiritual. Yes, our resurrection bodies will be bodily flesh, bone, and blood, but they will be spiritual bodies. Now, I know to our minds that sounds like a contradiction. Spiritual bodies, it sounds like two different elements. There's the spiritual and there's the bodily body, and, and those two never shall meet. That's how we often think about, but, but biblically speaking, that's not a contradiction. Because we were actually designed, we were created with both spirit and flesh, both soul and physicality. And those two things were united together, and they are only separated. The separing, the rending that occurs at death will one day be healed at the resurrection, so that the two things that are torn apart will be restored, imperishable and glorious. There will be a transformation that takes place. Now, does that mean we'll, be, uh, we'll return to our uh, 21-year-old selves? I mean, does it mean that, you know, those wrinkles, they'll fade away? Does it mean that our gray hairs will return to brown, black, red, or blonde? Does it mean that we'll finally have those washboard abs that we've been working for? Or, or maybe we haven't been working at all. <laughs> or that we'll finally be less than 5% body fat? Or that I'll be transformed into 6'2", 220, and throw 98? Like, is that what our resurrection bodies will look like? I doubt it. I mean, I don't know for sure. You know, maybe I'll be 6'6 and can dunk, but I'm pretty confident I won't be. I doubt it because there's continuity, and so I actually think that though there's a transformation that's going to occur, that our resurrection bodies are probably going to look an awful lot like our earthly bodies do now. but they will be glorified spiritual bodies. There will be a transformation. And that transformation means that, that though physically we may not change greatly, we may still look as we do today that the transformation will be that we are free from sin and pain and suffering. That our bodies will now be imperishable. They won't break down or be riddled with disease or die. I mean, can you imagine that? No more backaches. No more creaking knees. No more diseases that attack organs. No more sin. No more guilt. No more shame. That is a transformed body. That is a glorified body. And that is what is promised to us. That is the kind of transformation that Paul is describing here. That one day, I mean, have you, have you ever thought about this? Like, um, I know we have lots of medical people in the room. 
Like, we won't need your job in the new heavens and the new earth. I love you. I'm thankful for you. And we won't need to be healed anymore. And we won't need counselors. And we may probably won't need pastors because we will be without sin and we will be walking with the, Like, that is what is promised to our glorified bodies. That that is what is promised to us in heaven. That there is a day coming when we will have no more sin or disease or death or be riddled by the pains of the fall and of the curse. That is the transformation that takes place. A transformation into the likeness of Jesus. I mean, that's the final part of this nature, the nature of our resurrection, that we will be Christ-like. Look at verses 45 through 49. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so you see the contrast that Paul is creating here. A contrast between Adam and Jesus. He says of Adam, he was a living being, but Jesus was life-giving. Adam was from the dust, but Jesus is from heaven. Those who are of Adam are of the dust, and those who are of Jesus are from heaven. And so you see the change that's taking place, right? Because all men, all women, all boys and girls, all peoples in all places in all times, we were born into Adam. Adam was the first man. He was our covenantal head, our representative. And so he was the one who, who as Adam went, so too did we. As Lewis put it, we are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And because we are descendants of that first man, we are born in his likeness, which includes sin and death. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? And it answers, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. You see, because we are in Adam, we bear his image. But, but a change has taken place. You see, those who are trusting in Jesus and know that he died and rose again for our sins because we belong to him, because his grace is extended to us, we are now in Christ. He is our representative. He's not just the second Adam. He is the last man, right? He is the better representative. He is the one who rules over us, and so we share in his resurrection as we are united to him, and we bear his image and will be like him. That's what John promises in 1 John 3, when he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We will be like him. It doesn't mean we'll be little gods. It doesn't mean that we'll be divine. We'll continue to be created beings, continue to be men and women. But in the resurrection, we will fully bear his image. It means we will be like him morally, free from sin. That we will become like him physically, glorified bodies. 
And y'all, that's what we long for, isn't it? Glorified bodies. I mean, every time we feel that pain, every time we can't get to sleep because our bodies are hurting, every time we complain about the aches and the hurts, what we're longing for is glory. Glorified bodies. We maybe don't use that language, but but that's the underlying promise that so many things in this world promise us, right? The promise of creams and pills and organic food and exercise and just put the right things in our bodies and our bodies will take care of themselves. But, but we know that the attempt to stave off death and corruption, that that's just momentary. Because the truth is, is that your skin will wrinkle. And your muscles will weaken and our health will fade. The only hope for eternal life. The only hope for resurrected bodies. It's not in pills or creams or eating right or getting enough exercise or sleeping enough or anything like that. No, the only hope for eternal life and the only assurance of glory is Christ. The one who came from heaven and took on flesh. The one who died and defeated death through his resurrection. And when he returns, we too will rise with him. Rise not with souls escaped from caged bodies, but instead we will rise with transformed bodies after the image of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you are returning. And that when you come, that you will make all things new. That you will bring with you a new heavens and a new earth, and we, your people, will rise with you. And we will dwell with you, not as disembodied spirits, but with transformed, glorious bodies. We long for that day. And until that day comes, we ask that you would help us to live faithfully today, in this place, to your glory, and for your name's sake. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come quickly, come quickly, make all things new. And we pray all this in Christ's name. And God's people said together, Amen.